Well, I've been thankful for these videos, and it just shows you a few of the cultures that represent Bethel in our various campuses. And I ask you to pray for Tim Chen. Keep praying for him because, uh, Lord willing, he's leading the Mandarin-speaking congregation. Uh, hopefully, he's going to able to be able to start that soon. So be in prayer for them, and, and be in prayer for us as a church and our leadership as we seek, what does God have for us? What is this going to look like? Where are they going to meet? All of that stuff. So please pray for them. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. Take your Bibles and the sixth book of the New Testament, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Find chapter 8, that's where we're going to be, verses 9 through 11 this morning. And we continue in this treasure trove that is Romans 8. It's a beautiful chapter. It begins with this sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and then It actually concludes, if you just glance in your Bible, it concludes with this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Both of those verses include a a tiny little word, okay, two-letter word. And it's a small word, but it's incredibly important. I-N, the word in. It's a little preposition, but it has this powerful meaning. And that's, of course, true as Paul writes And it's even true today. If we think about our lingo, our language, consider a couple phrases with me. If we say, in the club, or in the know, or the in crowd, or here's one, getting into a college. It's this idea of acceptance, this this concept of belonging. And of course, the word out can be just as powerful on the opposite side. We could say out of touch, or out of the family, or outsider has feelings of not belonging, not being accepted. And so as we read our text this morning, I want you to take note of this word in because it is very, very essential. So follow along. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 and verses 9 through 11 of our text here as we continue through the chapter. Notice the word in. So verses 9 through 11, here's God's word. Paul's writing. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So notice the first in of our text here. It is in the spirit. Romans 8, 9 again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So this in the spirit, it's a state of being. It is a a sphere of being. It is a state of existence that you are in if you're in Christ. Now, I now live in the state of Indiana, okay? But I used to live in the technically commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I don't know why we're one of the four states that calls ourselves the commonwealth. It's not because we think we're better than anyone else, but we were a commonwealth, okay? They still are. I'm just not there. I was in Pennsylvania, and now I live in Indiana. And a couple of years ago, I went to the BMV to get my... Indiana driver's license after two visits and 27 forms of identification, they finally decided to give me a license, an ID. And you know what they did with my Pennsylvania license? They took it, 
and they shredded it. It's like, you're not a PA boy anymore. It's like, here you go. You are in the state of Indiana. So I can, you know, I can drive an hour about, you know, maybe that way, and I can be in Michigan, right? I can drive less than 10 minutes this way, somewhere, okay, and I can be in Illinois. But I'm still a resident of Indiana. That doesn't change, even if I go into one of these other states. I am a Hoosier, and I can even say that now without cringing, okay? If I go into Illinois, I can't get a discount on the Shedd Aquarium because I'm not an Illinois resident. I'm an Indiana resident. And here in Romans 8, this is really the idea we're talking about. Two states, two spheres, you're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. There's only, only two places here, in the spirit or in the flesh. Now, this is kind of important because as we go throughout the book of Romans, depending on which sphere you're in, determines whether all the blessings in Romans apply to you, like justification, like union with Christ that we saw, like eternal life. These things apply if you are in the sphere of the Spirit. Paul says to the church in Rome, you are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, you're in that realm. You are in that realm where the Spirit is at work. Now, we're only in one of those realms in this sense that we are residents We don't flip-flop between them. We're not in the flesh, and then we're in the spirit, and then we're in the flesh, and we're in the spirit. Even those times that we're living according to the flesh, you know, when we cross the state line, so to speak, we're really just living different from our identity. We're living in a way that we were not supposed to live. In fact, we're living in a way that's different than our fundamental nature. We're actors, and we're terrible ones at that. Last week, Pastor Steve, he took us through some some verses, and he showed us this chart. You might remember the chart. I don't have it up there, but it was the flesh-led life and the spirit-led life. By the way, we have an illustration with us this morning of the Holy Spirit, the wind that is rushing around. So just pay pay attention to that as we go through it. God, thank you, God, for that illustration. But we have this flesh-led life, and we have this spirit-led life. And and Romans 8 has taught us that the fleshly mind, the mind that is fleshly, It leads to death. It is actually hostile to God. It cannot please God. But the mindset that is of the Spirit is renewed, the Scripture says. It's renewed day by day. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He gives us a new heart. Inside of us, He puts this new heart. And Steve said last week, it's like a new battery, right? This new heart inside of us. In the internal, most inner part of us, we have this New life, this spirit. Now we understand God's word as he intended us to understand it. Well, not perfectly, right? We have to study hard, but we can understand it because of the spirit. Now we can actually please God because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so I want you to think about this as we look at the text. Imagine this powerful spirit, this renewal in the innermost parts of our, of our being that works itself out through even our bodies, as the scripture says this morning. So even our bodies are affected by this, but it starts in the most inner part of us. So it's really important, before we move on, I want to make this uber clear. How do we know who's in the flesh, who's in the spirit? If this is so critical to know, am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit, how do we know that? Well, verse 9 again says, you are in the spirit if... The Spirit of God dwells in you. So we're in the Spirit if the Spirit is in us. We're in the Spirit 
If the Spirit is in us, the Spirit in us, what does that even mean? How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Is it just for the spiritually elite or those that have some kind of transcendental or trans, whatever word I'm trying to say, some kind of experience where they, they experience the Spirit in some interesting way? Can you look at a crowd and determine who's got the Holy Spirit? Oh, they have the Holy Spirit. Oh, they have the Holy Can you? How do you know? I mean, Galatians talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit show that we have the Spirit. But if we take a look at this verse 9 again, the, the last part, it, it makes it clear to us. Who has the Spirit and who does not? Well, it says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? Those that do not belong to Christ. Conversely, who has the Spirit? Those who belong to Christ. Every child of God who belongs to Christ, who is a son or a daughter, has the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit. It goes with the territory. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, And we'll see a verse that's very similar to that in just a few weeks here in Romans 8. But the moment that God saves you, the moment that you're adopted, the Spirit rushes in. More powerfully than that wind this morning that made the whole commons cold, okay? The Spirit rushes in the moment that you repent of your sins, the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, and you become a part of the family of God. It's that belonging, and with that belonging comes the Holy Spirit. It's really our union with Christ. Think about this. Belonging to Christ means being in Christ. We've seen that from Romans, this phrase in Christ, like the first verse of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So when we're in Christ, we belong to him. If we belong to him, the scripture says, we have the spirit. If we do not belong to him, we do not have the spirit. Again, how important are these two little words, or two little letters, in In Christ, belonging to Christ. Let's refresh ourselves a little bit. What does it mean to be in Christ? We've talked about union with Christ throughout Romans. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that whatever happens to Christ happens to us. So even in his death and his burial, we are identified with Christ because our sins, again, if we are belong to Christ, our sins died with Christ and and were buried and now we've been resurrected with Christ. Think about this one. Christ ascended. He went up to the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That means that I have access to the Father. There I am, identified with Christ. I am in Christ. We're translated from the sphere of the flesh into the sphere of the Spirit. We reside in a new state. And according to this passage, the moment that that happens, the Holy Spirit rushes in. The Spirit is in us. It's kind of an important scripture to understanding the doctrine of the indwelling spirit. I've talked to Christians before who who they they just plead for the Holy Spirit. They're saying, God, give me your Holy Spirit. Or or they desire a second blessing or more of a filling. And they're just asking God, begging, please give me the Holy Spirit. And our text says, if you belong to Christ, you have the spirit. And I think what you'll see from our scripture as we go through it, you have all of the spirit that you will have. The moment you cry out in repentance by faith, you're united with Christ. You're in him. And if you're in him, the text says, you have the spirit. Uh, Moo says it this way, Douglas Moo. 
How would you like a last name like that going through school? Moo. Anyway, this is what he said. However much we may need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. You know, so we, we spend our Christian lives learning to submit to the Spirit, as the Scriptures say, uh, being filled or controlled by the Spirit. Yes, that is true. There's many times where we're not submitted to the Holy Spirit. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit, as the Bible tells us to be filled or controlled. But it's not because we lost the Holy Spirit. It's not because we have less of the Holy Spirit. It's because we have not submitted to Him. This incredible truth that if we are in Christ, the third member of the Trinity dwells, resides in us. That is amazing. But let's look at an interesting development here in verse 10. Read with me the, the next verse, Romans 8:10. Here's the third member of the Trinity in us. Now let's read verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So not only is the Holy Spirit in us, third member of the Trinity, the scripture says here that Christ himself is in us. It's already said that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, but now you know, very explicitly it says Jesus Christ is in you. If you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, Christ is in you. Christ is in us if we are in Christ. So yes, we're in the Spirit if the Spirit's in us. We're in Christ if Christ is in us. I'd like to illustrate it this way. Hopefully it will help a little bit and not make you more confused, all right? I brought with me my little wooden friend from my house. Now, you probably were worshiping wondering, what is that up there for? A little, he's not enough, you know, this is my little R- Russian nesting doll. There's a technical name for this. I can't say it properly, but it's something like this. Matroshka, which is not really very good because I said like 17 R's in there, okay? But it's a matroshka. It's, it's this uh, nesting doll. You've seen these, right? The first time you see these as a kid or whenever, maybe today, I don't know, it's like, oh. But then after that, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. All right. But here we go. It's a doll, right? It's got a doll within a doll, right? A doll within a doll. And I, only I know how far this goes, okay? There's, there's a bunch of them in there, okay? So the nesting doll, oops, missed one. There you go. Go back in there. The nesting doll is a great example, probably one of the best illustrations for inness, being in something. The only other thing I could think of was a turducken, but I wasn't going to cook a turducken and bring it here. That's a turkey and a duck and a chicken. Anyway, okay. This is a great example of inness. There is something and something and something and so on and so forth. You get the point. But let me try to explain it this way. If we're in Christ, so let's say, just work with me here today. This is Christ, okay? It is, looks like a little painted Russian girl, but this is Christ. And if we are in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us. So again, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We're identified with Christ because we're in Christ. But as you read through this text, you realize not only are we in Christ, right, but it says that Christ is in us. So there's this aspect of the Spirit of Christ or Christ in us. And then we read on and we see that the Spirit of Christ, right, the Spirit of Christ is in us. Now, that makes sense because if Jesus Christ is inside of us, then His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is in us too. We can't have Christ without having the Spirit of Christ. We can't have Christ without having the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in Christ. Christ is in us. 
The Spirit of Christ is in us. Are you confused yet? It's kind of like one of those M.C. Escher drawings. You ever seen those? (laughs) But I just want to make this very crystal clear, and that is this. If you're in Christ, if you're adopted by the Father, if you belong to Christ, then you have not only Christ in you, but you have the Holy Spirit in you because you're in Christ. They're in you. And I don't know how biologically this all happens. This text is not designed to teach us the mechanics of it. And, of course, the Russian nesting doll isn't the perfect picture. But here's the idea is that Christ is in you. The spirit of Christ is in you. What happens to the smaller dolls happens to the larger doll. What happens to the larger doll happens to the smaller dolls. There's this idea of inness. That is something for you to chew on today, just to consider and say, God, what does it mean that you are in me, that that the spirit is in me, that the spirit of Christ is in me, that Christ himself is in me? And you might be thinking, what about the father? Just wait, next verse, okay? We'll get there. But look at the the rest of verse 10 here. rest of verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, so our bodies are dead. Did you read that and wonder, like, what is Paul talking about? I mean, I'm kind of alive. How is my body dead? And it seems that what Paul is saying is that the sin that caused death has been forgiven. We're not captive to that sin anymore, but that death has never left our bodies. We still have the effects of sin. We still have the consequences of sin. We're all dying. That's what Paul's saying. There is death in our bodies. I like how John Murray describes the body, and he's quoting another, and he says this. The body is the prey, P-R-E-Y, the prey of death, meaning death is coming for every one of us. Christians are not excluded And that's what it means when it says that our bodies are dead. The the death is in them. It's only a matter of time. It's kind of like the bully on the playground that says, you're dead meat. You ever hear that? Just brought back some painful memories for some of you. You're not actually dead, but he's saying, I'm going to get you. I'm coming for you. That's what it means by death. Death is inside of us. Another way to say it is that our bodies are mortal, which is Paul's word in verse 11. He says our bodies are mortal. They're not immortal, They're mortal. They're prone to death. In fact, we will die. So here's another way to think of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The immortal one in mortal ones. The God who is immortal, who is eternal, in residing in those of us who are all mortal. That's just even crazy to understand how it can be possible. How can the immortal one be inside of mortal ones? But he is. He whose life and, and righteousness is inside of this body that is, that is dead in, in a sense. So life is wrapped in death. Now, why a holy God who is life and his righteousness, why he would want to live in this dead house is hard for me to understand. I guess it's because he just wants to be with us that bad. He wants to be with his people, that he will reside in this mortal Dead house. I wish I could give God something better. And, and here's a really important truth. He doesn't just stay with us temporarily. He doesn't just visit, you know, come for a little while. No, he, he actually is with us all the time. He doesn't just come Sunday mornings and come over you and, and fill you on Sunday mornings and then he goes away. And then he comes back when you read the word and then he goes away. That's not the way it works. He's actually dwelling in us. 
Now, whenever I stay in a hotel, I always look at the drawers, you know, and I think, hmm, should I put my stuff in the drawers? I mean, I like my stuff all organized, and I'm like, no, like I'm only going to be here one night, two nights. It doesn't seem worth the effort to take everything out of the bag, set it all up in the dresser, just to take it out again so a lot of us just live out of our bags because it's not home. It's a hotel. Now, it is nice to have those like fresh towels and clean room every time you come back, but it still isn't home. It still doesn't, it's not a place where you can just relax because it's a hotel. It's not a home. And when we consider the spirit, he does not live in us. He does not stay in us like a hotel. Because the word that is used here three times, you'll see it in, uh, in verse 9 and you'll see it twice in verse 11, the word dwells. That word is not visits. That word actually means to make your home. And so the noun of it is the word house. God houses inside of us. He makes us his home, not his hotel, his home. He dwells in us. This is probably the really powerful truth here is that, that God The eternal God, the immortal God, makes us his home. How's that possible? For all believers? Don't know exactly. But the scripture says that that's true. He dwells in us. So the spirit dwells in this, 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 you know, dead house that is fraught with temptation and even sin, and he lives here. And he doesn't say, I'm checking out and I'm not going to visit there for a while. He stays with us. He stays with us. He dwells with us. This God of the universe, the one, think about it, he formed this body. He made your body. He fashioned it. He created it. And now he comes and lives in you and in me. That's a beautiful truth. That's a pretty powerful thing. You ever been to a hotel and you said afterwards, never stay there again? It's ever happened? It's got to happen to some of you, Okay. I remember being in high school on a missions trip, and we stayed in the Gunnison Motel in Utah. Don't know if it still exists. Pretty sure it doesn't, okay? It was so bad. Half the toilets didn't flush. Half of them overflowed. Uh, We woke up in the morning, and apparently a pipe had burst, and there was about two or three inches of water in our room. We woke up to our suitcases, like, floating around. (laughs) The whole morning, we were supposed to go, like, rappelling, and instead, we washed our laundry. It was amazing. Even if it exists, I'm not staying there again, okay? It's one of those places. And some of us, the way that we live, the, the way that we disobey God, the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it, it further instructs us to be careful how we live because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God should check out. He should never come back. But he doesn't. He is always, always, always dwelling in us. Well, that is a pretty powerful truth, particularly if today you're caught in sin. You need to repent And you realize God hasn't left you. He's not far from you. You're far from him because you haven't been submitting to him. There's another aspect to this verse, though, here, and it's that we have inside of this dead body life. Did you see that? This this life inside of us, and this spirit is life. He equals life. He's the source of life. So the text actually says the spirit is life. Now, some of your translations, if you have a NASB, New American Standard Bible, it has a lowercase spirit. It says Our spirit is alive. Now, however it's supposed to be translated, whether it's the Holy Spirit who is life or lowercase spirit, our spirit is alive, the point remains the same. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he is life. So guess what he does to our spirit, our inner man? He makes it alive. 
It is fully alive. And that life is sparked the moment that the Holy Spirit rushes in, that new battery, if you want to use that analogy, and it's never extinguished, never, because that life is there. Nothing can extinguish it, not sin, not suffering, not our bodies, which eventually wind down. This outer man cannot extinguish the life that is inside of us. And it says that in the next verse. Check, check out the last verse, Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, before we get to the really futuristic hope in this verse, because it's, it's powerful, it's very future-oriented, I just want to clear up, who is it talking about here when it says, him who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, who does Scripture say raised Jesus from the dead? That's God the Father. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And so here we have a passage which is incredibly Trinitarian. We've seen that the Spirit is in us. We've seen that the Spirit of Christ is in us, that Christ himself is in us. And now we have the Spirit of the Father who is in us. And texts such as this were, were pretty important in the early church as they sought to hammer out what, what is the Trinity, what is the doctrine of the Trinity that is in this word, but we're trying to write it down and understand it. And the idea of the Trinity is one God, three persons. Try three, unity, one God. Not three gods and not one person. And here we have each member of the Trinity at work in us. Now, there's a lot of mystery when it comes to the Trinity, right? I mean, I, I've never heard an illustration that was perfect for the Trinity. None of them. I mean, they all have good points and they all fail because the mystery of God, one God, three persons is, you can't, you can't represent it, not even with Russian dolls, definitely not with a turducken, okay? The, the Trinity is unique. The Trinity is beautiful in the way that, that God is. But here we have each member of the Trinity working in us. Now, don't misunderstand that God is, is, is mixing the persons or he's confusing the identities of the, of the Godhead. He's not saying the Father is the Son. He's not saying the Son is the Spirit. That's not what he's saying. Also, this text isn't designed to give us like a completely perfect, mapped out understanding of the Trinity. Best I can understand as I study this is what it's telling us is that every member of the Trinity is at work in you if you're a child of God. Every member of the Trinity all the interplay between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that interplay, that life is at work in you. That's all I need to understand from this text to realize, wow, that God is in me. All of God in terms of all of his power, all of his presence, God in me. Sometimes you hear Christians say, I just need more God in my life. You know, I just need more Jesus in my life. I think there's a, a poster that says I need, I just need like a, a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus or something like that, right? Um, and I've often amened that. But the point is that we have God. We have all of God. We, we don't need more of God. God may need more of us, but God is in us. And, and it's not like as he lessens in his, his presence in us, then we start to struggle. It's not like that. God is in us, all of God, and all of him is at work in all of us. Okay, so what's this futuristic life here? What is... When it talks about this life and there's a future focus, what are we talking about? Let me try to illustrate again using my little wooden friends, okay, who are all dismembered and need to be put back together, okay? So if we think about it in this way, when the Holy Spirit comes in, so Holy Spirit, 
is inside of us now dwelling in us. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is with us. The psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go away from your spirit? If, if, I, if I make my bed here, you're here with me. He says, if I go to the other side of the ocean, here's the Holy Spirit with me. I can't get away from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always with us because he's in us. He's in us, and here's what he does. When he comes inside of us, he takes our inner man, our, our, our personhood, who we truly are, the real part of us, and he changes it. And he makes it completely new. And if this was a perfect illustration, it would somehow like be shaved down and repainted and it would be a new person, a new, a new identity. And here's Jesus inside of us. Here's the Holy Spirit inside of us, renewing our inner man. This is anything but dead. This is completely alive because the Spirit is inside of my inner man. But the Scriptures also say that this inner man is inside of an outer man, right? So we have our outer body Inside of us, very alive, being renewed day by day. But our outer man, not being renewed every day. Actually dying, the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So here we are, outer self, corruptible, starting to fall apart. Unless you're like a young person coming up to your prime, then you're like, I'm good, you know? But technically, we're all slowly dying, right? Here's our outer man. It's wasting away. But inside, internally, there's our, our, our realist part of us where the Holy Spirit resides in, and because of that, it's life. Now, this is our present reality. Our present reality is life wrapped in, in death. And 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says, For while we, were still, while we are still in this tent... The body's a tent, it says. It's a, you know, a temporary dwelling. We groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, like we don't want no body, we need a body, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. And then 1 Corinthians 15, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So death, the mortal, is swallowed up in the immortal. And so one day, what's going to happen? We're going to be made new. Death will be swallowed up. This body will be remade. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to look like Jesus. We're going to look like Jesus, not just in the internal part of us, but even in our body, which will be renewed, which will be made completely new. But until that happens, we're kind of in a time warp, right? A little bit of a back to the future where the future has already come because inside of us we have this, we have this resurrection life. We have this new identity. We have this e eternal life in us, but we're caught in the present. And so it's like the future has come. We've tasted it. it Think about this. Every time you get caught up in joyful worship and you're worshiping Jesus Christ for who he is, that's a taste of the future. That's you. A little taste of what you're going to experience for all eternity. Or you're reading his word and, and the, the spirit floods your heart with peace. And you, you have this moment where you're like, God, thank you. Thank you for my salvation. That's the future come now. That's me in my present reality clothed in mortal flesh now experiencing that life to come. 
There is coming a day when the perishable becomes imperishable, when the corrupted becomes incorruptible, when the mortals become immortal, when death is swallowed up in victory. Thomas Schreiner says it this way. He says, we've tasted the fruits of the dawning new era. Okay, a couple application points. What do we do with this rich truth? I mean, we've seen the Spirit's in us, Christ is in us, the Spirit of the Father's in us. What does that mean for today, for tomorrow, for this week? And I don't know what you're battling with, but I have a couple things here. Perhaps one of them God will really use for you. First, we have a closeness with the entire Trinity, a closeness. So you are actually close to the Spirit. You're actually close to Jesus Christ. You're actually close to the Father. And I think sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit in us as intimate. You know, he's in, he's in me. And we think of Christ, and we know Christ loves us. We know Christ died for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, but he seems maybe a little more distant than the Spirit. And then we have the Father, and, and oftentimes we may think of the Father as even more distant than that. And I, I would think particularly if you come from a background where your father, your relationship with your father was not a good one. The Father can seem distant. Yeah, the Spirit, He's in me. No, the text says that the Spirit is in you, that Jesus Christ is in you, that the Father's Spirit is in you. So you have a closeness with the Father. You have a closeness with the Spirit. You have a closeness with the Son. Do you talk to your Father? You talk to him. Do you, do, you, do you ever talk to Jesus? Do you ever have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and just pray and thank the Holy Spirit for what he does in your life? Here is a beautiful thing that a lot of people realize. We have a relationship with God, the triune God. And, and a lot of you, some of you came from re religious, more formal backgrounds, and at some point it, it just clicked for you. You realize, I have a relationship with God. It's not just what I do and don't do. God has a relationship with me. I talk to him. I walk with him. And, and here's the crazy thing. The Spirit, the Son, and the Father, all close to you as you commune with them. That's powerful. Here's another one. You never go anywhere alone. Everywhere you go, the Trinity is with you. Again, if, you, you know, if, if they're all in you, wherever you go, God, the Father Spirit is in you. The Son is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And so whatever you face, you know, some of you, maybe you're, maybe you're facing things that cause you a fear or anxiety, and, and maybe there's children in here, you, you're just scared because of, you know, various, various fears that you have. I, I have kids, I know that sometimes they face fears. The, the Trinity is with you if you're a child of God. Maybe you're quite a bit older than that, but you're facing the fears of being alone. Maybe a, a broken marriage, maybe the death of a spouse or a, or a family member, a really good friend, and you, are, you fear that. You, you truly fear the Bible says God is with you. You do not go anywhere alone. And this should start to quench this fear and anxiety. It doesn't probably remove it completely, but if we will dwell on this idea that God the Father is in me, God the Son is in me, God the Holy Spirit is in me, we don't go anywhere alone. Nowhere. Here's another one. We should not lose hope during the physical bodily struggles that we face. And I'm pretty confident that at least one person in here would be dealing today with in incredible, significant physical pain, struggle, upcoming surgeries, um, cancer, these type of things. And we do not experience these things forever. This corruptible body does not last forever. Amen? Praise God, right? We have a new body coming. And so the pain you're experiencing now is temporary. 
this is not your best life right now. There's a life to come. I know the Marines have this saying, it's pain is weakness. You know what it is, right? Leaving the body, which, you know, sounds really manly. It's like, ooh, rah, and like, you know, gets, gets guys going. But really, pain is just a reminder that your body is weak, and it always will be weak until the day that Christ changes you. I wish it was pain leaving the, I wish it was weakness leaving the body, but a lot of you are like, no, my body keeps getting weaker, even as I have more pain. And the more pain I experience, the weaker I feel. Yes, but that's not forever. Because there is coming a day when this will be new. No longer will we have these painful struggles. And that means that we can face any trial, even death itself. We can face death with a steady faith. This is something the Christian can do. The Christian can look at impending death or the death of a loved one and they can have faith. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is within us. We do not face death alone. We do not experience cancer alone. We don't experience anything alone, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No, we have the Spirit of the Father, and we have Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. How do we know this? Well, the Spirit is inside of us. If the Spirit is inside of us, God's Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, then we're going to be raised again too. We will have this new life. There can be no doubt because the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee. That's what Scripture says. And I'll I'll close with this verse that really tells us that the Holy Spirit that you have is a guarantee of the future to come. So here it is, 2 Corinthians 5, 4 through 5. I don't have it up on the screen, but it's a continuation of what I read earlier. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, notice, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Brother and sister in Christ, you have the Spirit as a guarantee inside of you. You have the Trinity working inside of you, and that's a guarantee that even though the, the, the road may be hard, even though your, your body may be falling apart, There is something to come. There is a future that awaits us. Praise God for that.